Please turn with me in your Bibles to the the book of Hosea. It's kind of towards the second half of the Old Testament. Uh, we're gonna we're kicking off a new series, probably a shorter series uh, today on the minor prophets, major messages from the minor uh, prophets. Um, and you say, well, like why don't we go with the major, uh, right? If we're choosing between a uh, a uh, major league game and a minor league game. I'm, you know, I'm going to pick the major league every time because it's just, it's a bigger scale, right? Well, that's not what we're referring to when we talk about the minor and major prophets of the Old Testament. Um, simply put, that major-minor distinction is really about the length of the books and not their importance, not the magnitude of those books, but, but normally. Uh, the minor prophets tend to be shorter. Uh, the major prophets tend to be longer. And that's why they're called that. There are 12 minor prophets. Uh, we will probably not cover every, every one, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just hit uh, quite a few of them. Um, minor, the minor prophets were written in a very difficult time for Israel. Um, they were divided. Uh, there was a divided kingdom between the north and the south, uh, they, you had Israel and you had Judah. They had, had broken apart, and that was not uh, a good thing. Uh, they were uh, unstable with transitioning kings, which meant uh, some good kings that tried to teach them and, and lead them to God, uh, but mostly bad kings. And so uh, there was just a lot of shakiness when it came to uh, the people in charge. There was a general coldness to God. There was still a lot of ritual, still a lot of uh, things that they did uh, for the true God, but there was a, a coldness and a rebellion towards God. So God ordained these, these men, these minor prophets, to, uh, to rise up uh, and to bear the torch of truth in a very dark time, in a difficult time for the people of Israel. And one of the most famous of those, probably because of the scandalous nature uh, of which God told him to do, of what God told him to do, was Hosea. Um, Hosea is a prophet that was asked to do a very peculiar thing, as we'll see in a moment. And, and, and Hosea is a blending of God's frustration with his people, with his rebellious people, God's calling. Uh, for the judgment, announcing the judgment that he is going uh, to rain down on those people. But then also, very much blended throughout the book is uh, God saying, I will not let you go. Despite your sin, despite your rebellion, my love for you is going to be steadfast. And so, that's the theme that we want to look at this morning is steadfast love. Now, uh, the first three chapters of Hosea is more of the biographical section. This is, um, this is Hosea's marriage, which was meant to be a very peculiar picture of God's steadfast love for Israel. So um, we're mainly going to read from, from chapter 1. We're, we're, be sure and turn there because there's no PowerPoint this morning. We're going to be reading a lot of verses to cover this uh, pretty substantial minor prophet. But... Verse 2 in chapter 1, it says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, 
the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived and again uh, she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And, and the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, or, or, or you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So, like even right there, we just have these names of these children which are meant to be judgments pronounced, but then also a promise that those children would, would be called something different uh, in, in God's grace in the future. And then verses, uh, in chapter 2 and verses 22 and 23, it says, And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So again, we have this, how God's going to, despite the names of these children, he's going to do the opposite uh, of what they deserve. And then in verse, chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 3, or starting with uh, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said to me, Go again. Okay, so we know what happens when you marry a woman of, of whoredom. Uh, this is what happens. It's not a word I usually tend to use on Sunday, but it's in here a lot. Um, and the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a, and a litek of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days." So, wow, when we speak of scandalous parts of the Bible, the book of Hosea has got to rank pretty high up there. For God makes a request you don't expect Him to make to a preacher. And that is, marry 
uh, a very unfaithful, promiscuous woman. A woman that's not going to be faithful to you. Don't go find a jewel of a wife. Go and find for yourself an awful wife. And, and it would be one thing, the, the book of Hosea, because a lot of people have kind of rewritten this story to kind of to, to indicate some great truths, and, and, but in their artistic license in the story, they've really created an ending uh, that we don't find in Hosea, because um, it would be different if Hosea came to a woman that was sinful, that had not been living the way that, that she should live, that he married her, and because of his great love for her, she was changed, became mother of the year, uh, wife of the year, and just became the, the perfect uh, just Christian woman. But we never have that indication that that's ever what happened in Hosea's marriage. We never see a moment where we see Gomer absolutely repent and say, man, you're loving me really faithfully despite me being awful. And so a lot of, a lot of stories, when they base their stories off of this one, kind of take some liberties that we don't see. And maybe that did happen. Maybe eventually Gomer said, man, I cannot resist this love any longer. And she turned, and turned around, but it's not told for us in this book. All we know of Gomer is that she was unfaithful. Uh, and continuing to be unfaithful to him. It's really interesting because it's, it's this prophet that, that God wanted this message to be burned deep into his soul. Right? Like, like other prophets got to just go preach the message. Like God said, Hosea, you're going to live my message. When you preach about how I feel about my people that I keep loving and they keep rejecting me. I want you to feel it. I want you to know it. And so he commanded Hosea to do, uh, do something that, that we look at as strange, but I think it just burned into Hosea's heart the message that he was to be proclaiming for decades. And I know that when we, we see stories like this, we want to say, well, like, who am I in the story? Like, who do I represent? Well, I'm going to help you out. I'm going narrow to narrow it down. It ain't Hosea, okay? You're not meant to look at this story and go, hey, I'm, I'm Hosea. I, I'm a faithful... No, you're, you're to see the reality that you are Gomer. Now, this story is, is really about Israel in the day of Hosea, yes, but is anybody willing to stay to stand up this morning and say, you know, I don't have an ounce of Gomer in my body. I don't have an ounce of rebellion left in my body. I never, ever have a wandering eye that wanders away from God to other things that, it, they, that my eyes should not wander. I think we would all have to admit that in some, even though Many of us, most of us maybe are converted and saved and we belong to God. There are those moments where we don't love and follow Him as we should and we play the part of Gomer. We look upon the love of, and, and mercy of our great God and we say, no, thank you. I'm going to do some other things for a while. 
And I want to give a side note. This isn't what Hosea is about, but I think it, it tells us something very important at, at what God asked Hosea to do here. Is that God is often more concerned with saying something profound through our imperfect lives than giving us perfect lives. We live in a world that, that has a very narrow view of marriage and a small view of purpose. For many people, marriage is really about my happiness. That's what marriage is about. It's about me being happy and fulfilled. And if I'm not happy and fulfilled, then I can call it quits. Now, if people tell me sometime in the counseling office that I just don't think my God would want me to be unhappy. Like, go tell that to Hosea. Go tell that to Hosea. That was commanded to have this, this imperfect, this, this, this absolute love for this imperfect woman that was going to break his heart. And tell me that sometimes God doesn't choose a big message, a big purposeful message that's bigger than our momentary happiness. Now, this is descriptive, okay? This isn't prescriptive, okay? This isn't, you don't need to go find a lady of the night to get married. Okay, don't do that. And, and that's not even saying, go and find someone that's going to be hard to be married to. Don't do that. I mean, try to find someone that, that you feel like, man, you could love well and that's going to be faithful to you, yes. But realize that the imperfect imperfections of your marriage are going to be there. And maybe they're there for you to announce something to the world instead of just call it quits because you're not happy. I think, that's, I think that's in the command. I think that's revealed that God is a God who very often is speaking greater things than our momentary happiness so getting into the message uh, of Hosea that he was to give to the people we really see that mainly focused in in chapters four through seven and we see our rebellion which is the challenge for steadfast love right like God's love is steadfast but it's being challenged it's being challenged by some behavior it's being challenged by some rebellion in chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. That's God saying, we have a problem, Israel. He says, there is no faithfulness, our steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. And as we see these chapters unfold, we see, I'm not going to share with you everything we see, but some, hot, some main things that we see, uh, the problems and rebellion in their hearts, is first, they had placed their trust in the wrong things. They had begun to worship false gods. Hosea 4.17 says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. We, uh, we see in particular that they were very deeply, getting very deeply involved in Baal worship. For Hosea 11.2 says, The more they were called, the more they went away. 
they kept sacrificing to the bales and burning offerings to idols. And so, and I, it's amazing what it says here, the more they were called, so it's God, God's revealing himself. He's saying, I am here. And the people are saying, no, thank you. We want to go with gods that aren't really there. We're going to go sacrifice to the Baals. They had turned to false gods. They had also turned to earthly powers. Uh, they had turned to the nations around them. Hosea 7, 11 says, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt and going to Assyria. Hosea 8, 9 says, For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. And so the people of God has said, We don't trust you, God, to keep peace. We don't trust you. We want to make peace with the other nations. We want to go and get in relationship with them because, man, they're mighty. They have power. They have these big armies. And so we want to go make peace with them. No, thank you, God. We, we don't trust you to take care of us. We need all these other nations. And before we, we chastise them, do we not at times think that our hope is in the United States of America? Do we not at oftentimes think that, that, that it is this kingdom, it is a governmental kingdom that's going to fix things and make life better and if just we had this person or that person in office, then everything would be great. And we put a lot of trust in that instead of placing our trust in God. So they trusted the wrong things. We see that their relationship with God was fickle and fake. Okay, so they still they still had kind of wanted that connection. Hey, God, we're not totally leaving you. Like, we still want to be connected because you've done some great things for us. So we see in chapter 6, we see uh, really the first few verses, it really seems like Hosea's trying to rally the troops. He's really, he's trying to rally Israel and say, hey, let's get back to worshiping God. Here's what it says in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and the third day, he will raise, uh, raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And so he's calling them, man, this is God. God's going to do all these great things. Get like, listen to my message. Let's come. Let's go after God. And it's as if he's kind of in the streets, marching through there, trying to get a parade going. And, and then it's as if after verse 3, he turns around, and there's no one. Like he just did his best effort to rally the troops, and no one is interested. That's the way I picture it anyway. In verses 4 and 5, the very next verses, he says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? 
Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have honed them by, uh, by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. So like he goes immediately from rally, trying to rally them to go and, you people! A few, uh, few weeks ago, we were in Nicaragua. We were there in the backcountry, and, and so I was sleeping in a hammock uh, with a rain fly over me. And I, the first morning, I was amazed by the moisture, okay? I thought it had rained last night, because I, like, I was like, I didn't hear anything. Surely I would have heard rain when I'm sleeping outside. But it was, it was all over the rain fly. I mean, there was just all over the leaves of the tree. There was just water everywhere. And I was like, did it rain? And someone's like, no, it's just a heavy dew. And I realized, and, and that happened every day. And you had to watch how you got a bit so you didn't just pour water on you. But you know what? At 9 a.m., it was bone dry and we were burning up. It was very temporary. The coolness of the morning, the dew, it went away fast there. And that's what God says here. He says, your love for me, it's like morning dew. It's there, and then it's gone again. Your love and, and affection for me, uh, it says here um, that, uh, that it's just, your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. It doesn't stick around. I don't know about you, but what I find, I find this true in my life. I find that, hey, if you, take, if you take a snapshot on one day, you'll find a man that loves us God. You'll find a man that's pursuing Christ, that has affection for Christ. But I hate to say it, that if you take a snapshot at other times, you'll see a man that's very apathetic about his Lord. I mean, like, I find sometimes my life is literally like the dew. Like, in the morning, like, I open up the Scriptures because that's what I'm supposed to do as a good Christian, right? Like, read the Scriptures in the morning with your coffee and, and spend some time in prayer. And, man, I'm there. I'm with God. And by 10 a.m., my heart's a million miles away because i got a million things to do. Our hearts are are so prone to be just like Israel where we're there and then we're not. We're like, God, I'm with you. And then the moment later, we're not with you. We're not pursuing you. We're not as we living as we should. And God desires our steadfast love. They were fake in their religious rituals. So, if you still, if you looked upon Israel and you looked at what they were doing, you would actually see a lot of religious ritual. It says in, uh, in chapter 6, verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So the people had not totally abandoned the ritual for the living God. And these were 
rituals that God had commanded, rituals that were important for the spiritual life of Israel. But God says, I don't want those if I don't have your love. I don't want those if I don't have you seeking to know me. Let me speak in a language that that we can understand because we don't really think a lot about killing animals and sacrifice and burnt offerings. A lot of times we will go to church. We'll get up and, 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 and engage in our ritual of getting our family ready, of getting our nice clothes on, getting here, putting on this ritual smile, Some of us actually even sing the songs. Maybe even amen the preacher. Amen. But many times we can engage in all the motions and the ritual where if you looked outside of our life, you would say, hey, they're, they're doing something. They're religious. They love their God. But in many of us, Many times, it's just a show. It's just we're doing it because we know, well, we need to do it. But there is no true love of God. There is no true affection for Him and desire to know, to come and to to know Him through the songs, to, to know Him through the sermon, to know Him through the Sunday school lesson, to really gain knowledge and walk away knowing God more. No, it's it's oftentimes... This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I've always done. And God doesn't want that. He wants those things, those like those the rituals important in our life, and it's important for us to come. But God said the foundation of those actions need to be a love and affection and a, for me and a desire for knowledge for me. And then we see that their turning from God had resulted in, of course, sinful actions. Chapter 4, verse 2, there is swearing, there's lying, there's murder, there's stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You name it, they were doing it. Despite being the people of God, they were doing it. They were doing every kind of sin you could imagine. They had no bounds. They had no self-will. They did what they wanted to do. Why? Well, it's from verse 1 that we've already looked at. The very preceding verse is, they had no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. That is where morality goes wrong, folks. Morality is not the main problem that people have. People, people's immorality is not their number one problem. The, their problem is that they've rejected God and chosen a sinful life. It's not that they do this action or they do that action or they do this or that. It is that they don't know Jesus. They don't know the living God. And so they've turned uh, to all these sinful actions. Well, what's God going to do about it? His people are running amok. 
Well, we see God's redemption. We see here the success of steadfast love. Um, we, We see here more than just a testimony of the steadfast love of God towards us. We also see in Hosea a call for his people to have steadfast love for him. We have a call of steadfast love. Most of Hosea is about the active love of God, that God, despite our sin, is, continues to come after us, continues to love us. But let's not, mistake, let's not say that because God's love is so active, we can just be passive. I can just sit back in my sin and wait for God to come and rescue me out of my adulterous life. Because that's not what Hosea says. Hosea tells us that we are to pursue our God. We are to seek our God. We are to turn back to God. The word steadfast, the phrase steadfast love is used four times in this book. Two times it's talking about God's steadfast love for us. And the other two things, the other two times it's, it's call, either calling us to steadfast love of God or it's lamenting the fact that we don't have steadfast love for God. And so it's not only about, hey God, you love me, so come get me. It's about, God, I'm turning to you. I'm I'm doing I'm doing what I need to do, God, to to know you more. My favorite call to repentance in Hosea and it's I really love these verses. Uh, is found in chapter 10, verse 12. And it's kind of in the midst of a lot of condemnation being, being thrown at them. But, but here's what it says in verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is, the, it is the time to seek the Lord that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. What a great picture and, and relevant of this time of year. And in the late, uh, late winter, I tilled up my garden. So I want to just go ahead and get a head start, right? Well, then the rains came. And it rained like every few days. And I haven't been able to get back out there and, and break it up again. And what's happened? It's no longer fit it's no longer fit it didn't take long it took a few weeks of rain and warmer weather and the grass is coming out it's not ready i'm about to go out there if spring ever gets here which is doubtful today i'm gonna have to go back out there once again i'm gonna have to break up that ground and get it ready to kind of clear the weeds and get my plants that i want there in the ground And God is saying, hey, you have, you have hearts that are not ready for me. You have hearts that are closed off to me. They're hard, they're fallow, which means they're inactive. Break up your fallow ground. It doesn't say, I'm going to come and I'm going to break up. No, he says, he commands the people, you break up your fallow ground. He says, you sow righteousness so that I will come and then reap righteousness for you.
And I love the, the picture we have here because it's, it is absolutely showing its absolute dependence on God to show up, right? It's not saying, hey, you do all the work. It's saying, you break up the ground and then you wait on me to rain down the righteousness, right? We're not, we're not, we're saying God's love is active. But that God desires for us to pursue and to come to a moment where we say, I'm going to seek you, God. I'm going to turn from my life, from my Gomer heart, and I'm going to pursue you with all of my heart. I love that phrase, it's time to seek the Lord. But as Acts 17.27 promises, He is actually not far from each one of us. So listen to me, Gomer. Seek the Lord, but know that He's not gone far away from you. That in the, even in the depths of your sin and your repulsive sin, He has not been repulsed out of sight of you. He is merely there pursuing you. And here's what Hosea says, and we're going to uh, read a good bit to end out here in, in chapter 11 because they're just beautiful words, beautiful words. And we're going to see here that this is why everything rests on God and, and we break up the ground, but then He comes and He rains down righteousness upon us. Verse 1. We kind of hear here at the beginning just a broken-hearted parent. Broken-hearted parent. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with, brand, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and I fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. So up to this point, it's pretty bad, right? This is, not, this is, a, this is a God that is, seems like he's had it. That he's like, man, I've loved y'all. And all you have done is turned away from me. And that's why Assyria is about to, and we, we, that's going to happen. Assyria is going to come and judge you and lead you off into slavery. It's going to be bad. But then, verse 8 happens. And we know that that's not going to be the final, the final uh, circumstance. He says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. 
I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. His children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 13 says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O oh, death, where are your plagues? O oh, Sheol, where is your sting? And then back in, uh, in verse, chapter 14, verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them. I will be like a dew in Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of, of Lebanon. beautiful words that of a frustrated God towards a rebellious people where he says I'm very angry I'm very angry and I would I would almost assume just wipe you out but that's not what I'm going to do I'm going to show you mercy I'm going to reinstate you and what we need to realize here is that the, the ramifications of what God is saying here in Hosea, to Hosea, about the people of that generation, it goes way beyond this moment. Because in Romans 9, verse 23, it says this, In order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her, and, and, and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So Paul is saying, hey, what Hosea was saying, it's, it's, it's bigger than that generation. It goes not even just, it's not even confined to just the people of Israel. It's confined to the people that would be brought under Christ as vessels of mercy that God would pour His mercy into. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, it quotes Hosea and it says, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the words of Hosea 
where he says, hey, the sting of death will be taken away. It's fulfilled ultimately, not just in Hosea's day with Israel, but it's fulfilled through Christ. So Gomer's, and some of you are, you've never even, you don't even belong to God. You've never even entered into a marriage love relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God. You've got you've to do that this morning, folks. If that's you, if, if, if this God who despite you, despite your sins, wants to love you, and, and even though you deserve not to be called His people, that He's willing to call you His if you will turn in faith to Him. How can you resist that kind of amazing, wonderful love? And some of us, some of us are, are going through a season right now where we're Gomer, where we're in that relationship and yet we're loving other things. We're pursuing other things and we've left our God. Won't you break up your fallow ground, break up your hardened heart and prepare it for, and, and beg of God to rain His righteousness down on you and to awaken in you the love that will bring you the ultimate joy, which is love for Christ and, and knowing His righteousness raining down on you every day. I want to ask that you please stand as, as uh, our musicians come. Respond to the Word of God this morning. Res respond to Hosea's message. Respond to God's message to us through Hosea. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we all come here more like Gomer than we care to admit. God, more like Israel than we care to admit. God, I pray that you would help us to draw close to you, to, to plow up ground that's been hard for way too long. God, to say to ourselves, it's time to seek the Lord who has loved us so steadfastly. God, move in our hearts this morning. Revive our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.